Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. The disability travel market is often viewed through the perspective of legal compliance, but overlooked as a real opportunity for airlines, hotels, destinations, and other travel companies. Statistics are tough to come by, but according to a study commissioned by the Open Doors organization, adults with disabilities in the U.S. spend $17.3 billion a year on leisure and business travel. And the subject is getting more attention. The UN World Tourism Organization made accessibility the theme of World Tourism Day in September, and New York State announced an accessible tourism initiative in mid-October. Later that month, the Tisch Center for Hospitality and Tourism at New York University's School of Professional Studies held a discussion about optimizing hotel and tourism experiences for guests with disabilities. I moderated that panel, and the conversation included one of today's guests. On this episode of the Skiff Podcast, we're talking about changes that have made travel more accessible to people with disabilities, the opportunities that the industry has been missing, and what ground is still left to cover. In the office with us today is Peter Slayton, founder and president of Slayton Group, which provides education and training to help businesses, including many in travel, improve interactions with clients who have disabilities. And joining us by Skype from Phoenix is Brett Heising, CEO of brettapproved.com, a travel and entertainment website for users with physical disabilities or mobility impairment. They join me, editor and podcast host Hannah Sampson, and reporter Andrew Shavakman. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. So you both had other careers before starting the companies that you lead now. Uh, can you both talk about what led you to start businesses that focus on accessibility and customer service for disabled users? And Peter, why don't we start with you? Sure. Thanks, uh, Hannah. Well, so I was a journalist for most of my career, and uh, I've also been going blind gradually over the course of my life. And as a journalist covering commercial real estate, architecture, design, running a magazine, writing for uh, some of the great newspapers of the world, certainly traveled a lot, and I had many disappointing and sometimes unfortunate and scary encounters as I traveled in hotels, restaurants, uh, airports, airplanes, you name it, even office buildings. And I always uh, thought, wouldn't it be great if someone would train the people who I deal with who, and my friends deal with uh, to work with their customers with disabilities, but no one ever did. So uh, several years ago, um, just circumstances kind of conspired and I something happened that just got me so angry. I said, I have to do this. And I called a friend of mine who is a hotelier, uh, Lawrence Geller, who was then a CEO of Strategic Hotels and asked him what he thought. And he said, that's a wonderful idea and uh, hired me immediately uh, upon receiving a proposal to go out and uh, train the staff at one of the strategic properties, and it was great. Um, and I have proceeded from there. So that's that's the genesis of Slayton Group. Great. Uh, what about you, Brett? Yeah, I mean, uh, somewhat similar to Peter, I have a, a background in journalism, and I, I transitioned from journalism to public affairs and PR. 
and I used to travel a lot for work. And, you know, I had a corporate secretary, right? And everybody knew um, that I was in a chair, right? It's, it's pretty hard to hide that, <laughs> nor would I want to. But uh, despite my best efforts, about 80% of the time when I'd get to the hotel, whether I booked it directly or my executive assistant or corporate travel or whomever, I wouldn't have the rolling shower that I needed, right? So I'm a pretty laid back guy. I mean, I understand that being in a chair, you know, presents some unique challenges, but when something affects my ability to earn a living, so when I'm rolling into a meeting in a $5,000 suit without gel in my hair because I couldn't take a shower, that's a bad day at the office, right? So I kind of reached my tipping point a few years ago and I said, you know what, I could complain, which is very cathartic and in the short term, you know, might feel pretty good, or I could endeavor to do something about it. So I um, came home and I had a talk with my wife and I said, uh, hey, honey, I'm going to do something crazy. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to quit my job and start a company, breadapproved.com, that's a travel and entertainment website for folks with physical disabilities so that we know what to expect when we travel. She said, you're crazy. I love you. Go do it. So here we are. From both of your perspectives, what is the general attitude in the travel industry about travelers with disabilities? Do you see any positive momentum in any sectors? Is it still all around compliance? Or are there companies that are realizing they have a revenue opportunity? I'd say yes. <laughs> That's the answer to that. Um, there is increasing awareness that there's a market out there, there's something that needs to be done, that compliance isn't the, just the, is, is not the be all and end all. There's still a lot of um, ignorance, however, a lot of uh, misunderstanding, and uh, there's not a big embrace, let's say, of the disability community uh, as, as guests, as customers, as there is, say, in the museum world or even in the theater world um and hotels have been among the they haven't been early adapters let's say and i think they are missing a big opportunity so there's you know at the one hand there is a lot of lip service to, oh yes we really you know we want you to be our customer but we don't really want to do anything other than what we were told we had to do and we really didn't like doing that because it cost us money and we don't see uh, any NOI from it. And um, so there's, there's a, that breeds a head in the sand mentality um, that's going to eventually bite the industry in the wrong place. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think that you know, when, 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 when I have meetings with hoteliers I'm, uh, and I talk to them about the market, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're typically very surprised, right? Because they look at accessible inventory as something that they have to do, something that they have to have, but it's oftentimes, you know, not top of mind, right? So when, when we talk about the fact that there are 54 million Americans, 55 probably by now, million Americans in this country over the age 18 who have some type of physical disability, there are 4 million, roughly 4 million wheelchair users in the United States alone. Um, you know, you cited open doors earlier. You know, people who travel uh, spend in chairs spend 17.4 billion a year. We often don't travel in vacuums, right? So we don't travel by ourselves. So if we, when we combine the entire market, that's that's 34.6 billion, and that's just in the United States. So when you start talking about those statistics uh, with hoteliers, you know, it's really an eye-opening eye-opening experience for them. 
And more often than not, what they always say is, wow, I had no idea. And I say, well, you know, we're here to help you out. We're here to help you showcase your property, right? Because as somebody who's able-bodied, one of the greatest things you guys get to do is anticipate the joy of a trip. Whether you're going for business or for pleasure, wow, you know, I get to, you know, it's going to be cold where I'm going. I get to wear this new coat. I'm really excited. One of the things you probably never think about is, am I going to be able to get into my hotel room? And so what we try and do at Brett Approved is, is give our community that knowledge so that that takes away some of that guesswork, right? And once we explain to hoteliers that it is a matter of economics, you know, then the discussion really begins. Are there, um, we were talking about this $17 billion figure and um, it, it's hard to come across a lot of research on on the subject beyond that study that Open Doors does. Um, do you, I mean, what are what are some of the other metrics, I guess, that could indicate to corporations what the piece of the pie is that they're missing out on if they're if they're really not going after this market? Um, are there, I mean, is there a lot of data out well, there that, that can be tapped? Hannah, there's not a lot of data, but there are a lot of meetings and events, conferences in this industry. Uh, just for one small example, I go every year to a largest organization of uh, people with vision impairments. The, the National Federation of the Blind has its annual meeting uh, sometime usually in July and usually in some place very hot because it's less expensive. <laughs> so <laughs> we go to Orlando, Dallas, what have you, uh, in mid-July, and we meet there for a week and you have 3,000 people, um, many of whom are wheelchair users, many of whom have are hearing impaired, are hard of hearing as well as uh, blind. Um, there are a lot of dogs, there are a lot of people, and they all, and there are a lot of uh, able-bodied people as well. But that's a big spend. They're in that, they're, they're renting couple thousand rooms, they're eating all over the place, and uh, and that's just one group. There's lots of groups. There are state conventions for every, every NFB state. Ha every state has an NFB chapter. You can go on and on. So, And that's one small organization. You can expand that into every disability you can think of and even and specific conditions, whether it's uh, multiple sclerosis or cerebral palsy. Um, muscular dystrophy, et cetera, uh, diabetes. You can go on and on, and there is just an enormous range of uh, disability-related events uh, held around the country every year. Uh, and, you know, my, you know, Brett is working to help hoteliers um, anticipate the need and, and get their hotels ready uh, in a number of ways, my approach is to go directly to the hoteliers and their staff, so the staffs feel comfortable and confident in dealing with uh, the guests with disabilities when they arrive. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of statistics, you're right. There, there, there aren't a lot uh, out there, and that's why you know when when we started Bread Approved, when I started Bread Approved, you know we obviously focus on folks in chairs, right? Because that's what I know best. I've been in a chair since I think I was five years old. Um, but when I talk to hoteliers, when I talk to people in the hospitality industry, I also mention, you know, some pretty interesting, you know, longevity stats. That is to say, 65% of the people over 65 years of age are alive today, right? So what does that, what does that tell us? On, its, on the surface, it might not be that big a deal, but 
basically what it says is that people are living longer. And so what I always tell people in a very pointed yet hopefully fun kind of way is that, yeah, you might not need bread approved today, but if you live long enough, you're, you're going to need bread approved <laughs> or you're going to go someplace really cool and it's not going to matter. Right. Um, and in terms of, you know, what we, what we do at BA, you know, like uh, Peter, we also have a soft skills uh, training program and it's, it's really fun to meet with the hotel executives and the frontline staff and just dispel some of those, some of the myths about people with disabilities. And I think it really begins with knowledge. And then, as I said, once you examine it from an economic perspective, that's when, that's when you, you, get it, you get the attention. I have a question about booking travel online. Um, if you go online, use a travel agency like Expedia or Booking.com, are the descriptions on those sorts of sites specific enough about accessibility and other services? Is it easy to request a certain kind of room? Is it a challenge? Has it gotten any better? I would say in my experience, uh, it is quite a bit of a challenge. Um, basically, what happens is, you know, most, most hotels, if not all, are pulling from something called the GDS, the Global Distribution System. So they have an inventory of rooms, and those rooms may say, you know, um, one king uh, dash A, right? So one king accessible, right? So, but what that doesn't tell the, the person at the front desk is, is that, does that, ex, does that quote unquote accessible room have a roll in shower or does it have a tub with grab bars um, and things of that nature? So, it, so that, that, that really is key, a, a key portion of, of solving, you know, of what we try and do at Bread Approved is just making sure that people have the right information. Um, because it is, it is definitely in my experience, hit or miss. I mean, I've been in, uh, hotels, you know, all around the country where, um, there are spirited debates between the, the, the front desk staff. Room, room 615 is what Mr. Heising needs. No, it's room 605. So you go to room <laughs> 615. That's not accessible. Then you cruise over to 605. That's not accessible. So it's, so all of those things are just learning experiences, right? And, and, and that's what, you know, wh what I talk about is, just in terms of, of, you know, teachable moments. And so what I find um, with respect to OTAs is I always book directly with the hotel because if there is a problem, they're going to be able to resolve it much quicker as opposed to saying, oh, you book through OTA X, you know, give them a call, right? Because I want a, a speedy, like all consumers, you know, I want a speedy resolution um, to, to my challenge, whatever it may be. And so it's, it, it's always an adventure. <laughs> yes. Well, for me, the OTAs are, I can definitely see that that, that would apply to your situation. For me, um, as I mentioned at the outset, I've lost my sight gradually. So 12 years ago or so, I could see, read a computer screen, sort of, you know, and I could blow it up. So the OTAs were useful if I could figure out how to enter the information I need, needed to get a sense of what pricing was. Now, of course, I can't read those screens, and those sites are really not accessible, although the OTAs will say they are, but uh, my peers and colleagues who have uh, vision loss really don't use them, and I find even if I try to use the, you know, they all have phone numbers you can call, but those are salespeople, and they work really hard to sell you something, and they're not going to give you all of the the full range of, of choices that you really want when you look at an OTA. That's what they're about. They're about choice. 
Um, so you're going to just get someone who's going to say, well, this is what I think you should have. And you have to push back really hard and it becomes kind of an unpleasant uh, interaction. So I then will turn to a sighted colleague or I'll just start calling some hotels. And But they have a long way to go, I think. And I think in term, one of the things we try and do at BA to kind of mitigate that is we have a, a travel services division. So if, you know, somebody's uh, whether you're an experienced traveler or not with a disability, if you want to, you know, go around the corner or go around the world, you know, we have accessible travel agents who focus on that, who are disabled themselves, who will help you plan your, your, you know, getaway, whether it's, you know, going to Disney World, Disneyland, whatever, you know, that's what we're trying to do is just again, you know, mitigate that so that when you arrive, there, there is no surprise. Or or or, or the surprises are less minimal surprises. <laughs> exactly, yeah. managed uh, surprises. Yeah. So New York State just announced this initiative, and there's not a lot of information available about it yet. Um, but they've said they're going to focus on making information about accessibility more widely available and training um, providers within their travel industry. Uh, and of course, New York City has its own whole set of of challenges because the subways are only sometimes accessible by elevator or ramp. Um, there, there is other transportation, but it's not so obvious. Um, Walk ups all over the place, old infrastructure, including this building. Including this building. Sorry <laughs> about that. Um, so, I guess have you seen this kind of effort uh, on a state level and? Uh, what do you think from both from your professional and personal experiences? How do you think that kind of state, obviously there's a desire, but how is that best executed? Do you think, you know, I think, um, similar to the hospitality industry, I think the state agencies, tourism agencies are behind the curve on this. Uh, I'd say who's ahead of the curve, as I said, cultural organizations, museums, entertainment. And if you look overseas, the United Kingdom, uh, and uh, Scandinavian countries are have very robust, um, and Scotland have very robust robust efforts to create accessible communities, accessible environments um, beyond the physical to the the social, what I call social access. Um, and you know, this I applaud New York State for this initiative. I you know I know that in California they they at least think about it, and I know in Alaska big tourist destination, they think about it, they work toward it in Florida, they think about it, and you have large organizations there like uh, Disney, which is very proactive and has been on the accessibility front. You know, and it occurs to me, one thing we haven't touched on here at all is uh, is um, cognitive and developmental disabilities, uh, the autism spectrum, people like to talk about that. And that also is getting some some awareness from say the cruise lines princess i think it's princess uh has has a, an autism uh initiative uh, uh so, royal caribbean i know also has royal one. caribbean yeah. i'm not sure yes so it's it's a positive movement um so again it it takes time but the states have to start being proactive um uh, yeah, I think I think it's 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 definitely definitely a step in the right direction. Now, in terms of you know here in Arizona, um, 
all the meetings I have with tours and professionals are, are, are very similar to the, to the hoteliers. It's kind of this, this aha moment, right? So again, now that you know, you know, and I always tell people, hey, if you don't have a personal experience with disability, I'm happy for you. I'm thrilled. But now that we've met, now that we're friends, you, you have an obligation to look at things from a different perspective, especially as a business owner or a, or a tourism agency. Um, and so I do think there's a long way to go. It's just a matter of continuing to hammer home and continuing to work together to say, hey, if we make, you know, Phoenix, for example, as accessible as it can be, everybody's going to win. And I always tell people that if you're in a chair, uh, again, I can only speak for me, but if you're in a chair and can drive, there's no greater place to visit or live than Phoenix, Arizona. The state just celebrated its 100-year anniversary in 2012. Everything's flat. Everything's brand new. I mean, I grew up in Ohio, and it's it, it, the difference is just night and day. And so, you know, Phoenix is, is particularly primed, and Arizona in general is particularly primed to welcome baby boomers as travelers, to welcome folks in chairs, welcome people with, you know, cognitive challenges. There's a great startup out here in Phoenix called PAL Experiences that gives folks uh, who have autism kind of a, a video tour of what they're about to do, whether it's go to a Suns game or a Diamondbacks game. So there's 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 things being done at the state tourism level, but you know we, we do have a long way to go. You know, one of the things that's happening now, and I think Brett and I are both examples of this, um, I think we're tr both working to shift social awareness of disability from uh, the charity mindset to the part of society mindset to we're just part of ongoing society. When I created my business, people said, why, why don't you make a nonprofit? I said, well, you know, hotels charge blind people and people in wheelchairs and people who are hard of hearing, they don't give them the nonprofit rate. Do they? No, they don't. They charge us the full, the full, uh, full price. So I think once you, present that to them, that already shifts, shifts the attitude, shifts the, the framework from which uh, a business may be looking at um, disability. Yeah. On that note, Peter, you and your company specifically work on training. Yes. How much of that is technical? Like, be sure you're not blocking the front desk counter or covering the braille on a keypad. And how much is it about manner and demeanor? Um, is there some kind of sensitivity training that helps those in the travel industry? It's some of both, and I, I wouldn't even characterize it as one or the other. I think they're interwoven. I mean, there's definitely do's and don'ts. I don't like to call it etiquette or manners. I say it's, it's social awareness, social, like I said, social access. We've got physical access through the ADA that's been mandated. Um, it's not all there yet, but it's and we're trying, but um, what you can't, you can't mandate social awareness, social access. Uh, and you can, I like to say compliance is the floor, not the ceiling. So it's, yes, I want people to know how not to offend. What I really want them to do is to feel comfortable and confident when they have that interaction with someone with a disability. They're not freaking out. They don't have that moment of Fear, what do I say? What do I do? Hope I don't catch it. Um, all those things happen. And uh, so that's my goal. And there's so there's the do's and don'ts portion of it. And there's the here's here's what you do portion of it. Here's 
well, I have something called the elements of service, which are basic. That's what they are, the elements of service. What are five steps that will guide a service provider through any interaction with any guest with a disability or not? And all you have to do, if you don't remember your do's and don'ts, and just think of those five and they're right there and they'll guide you through. One of the one of the subjects that came up at this NYU discussion that Peter and I were both at was serving not just the needs of travelers with disabilities, but also considering like the wants, not just, you know, the roll in shower, but also, you know, is is the bathroom attractive? Does it look like a hospital bathroom? Um, is it is the design not only functional and accessible, but also just enjoyable? So, Brett, uh, on your on Brett approved, um, is there a lot of thought given to not just like what what I need to be comfortable and and to do what I need to do, but also like optimizing enjoyment? Is that is that something that you're you're also trying to get out of hotels and restaurants, or is is just access? Um, and comfort really the goal? No, I mean, I think optimizing enjoyment is, is, is key in everything we do, right? I mean, we might be traveling for work, but we're not going to work 24 hours a day. We're going to want to know where to, where to unwind with a great steak dinner and a nice cab, right? So um, where do we, you know, where's that balance? You know, where's that balance? I'll use myself as an example, right? I mean, when I travel, I, I obviously have an eye toward a budget because I'm a startup, but, you know, I, I'm going to spend more, you know, to stay at a little bit nicer hotel because I do appreciate that ambiance, right? I do want a place to unwind at the end of the day, um, but no matter how nice something is, if if it doesn't have the shower I need, you know, all bets are off, right? And I've I've been very privileged to stay in some really nice places when I travel and speak all around the world. And I've seen some rolling bathrooms that were bigger than my first apartment uh, or some rolling showers, but they're just not functional. So there's that fine line between function, you know, between form and function and, and making sure that everything, you know, uh, that we do, that we do, you know, focus on enjoyment. So it's something that's definitely top of mind. There's another element to that, if I can quickly add, and that is at the concierge level. Brett, you don't want to go to the concierge and say, where's the best uh, uh, steak in town? And they say, well, there's this great old restaurant. And uh, you'll say, is it accessible? And they'll say yes, or the restaurant may even say yes. And you get there and there's a couple steps. And they don't think of that as inaccessible. It's just a couple steps, you know, but that's a big difference, you know. So you want, it goes to the hotel knowing what is its environment is so that they can share that with their guests and make sure the guest doesn't get uh, have an experience that doesn't work for them. And that goes into getting into the community so the hotel is plugged into its community resources about um, accessibility and disability, uh, whether it's the transit system, um, public public accommodations, libraries, what what have you. Um, it's a it's a global network or and it's a or a village network, whatever you want to call it. It's a network of information and accessibility that the the real goal is to get it get the hotel or whatever destination you're in to be part of that network um and that's uh, then you have integration of disability community with the larger community mm-hmm. yeah that's a great point real quick i've got a got a real quick story about that my first trip to uh, manhattan for work um my colleagues had taken off so it was just myself and w- one other 
uh, person with me and, I, and we had a later flight and I said, hey, you know what, before we leave, want to go to an authentic New York deli and just knock it out of the park, just get crazy, right? So um, <laughs> I talked to the concierge at the hotel and uh, I said, hey man, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing. He's like, just go three blocks down, two blocks to the left. You know, I forget the name of the deli, but it really doesn't matter. So we're, you know, my able-bodied colleague is, you know, behind me and we're rocking and rolling. As we get closer, I'm getting excited. I get to the deli. There's like four huge steps in, nary a handrail. And uh, Lauren, my, my friend and colleague said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'll be damned if I rolled all this way and I'm not going in. So I threw my wheelchair up on the steps. I crawled in, got back in the chair and had a fantastic meal. And when I got back to the hotel, I said to the concierge, I said, hey, not for nothing, but that really wasn't accessible. And he was just, he, he didn't even think about it. He was, he was super apologetic, super bummed out. And I said, hey, it's, it's a learning experience, right? So next time you see somebody in a chair, maybe come up with a different option. I said, but lucky for you, my, my uh, pastrami in Swiss was magnificent. So all's for What's also important is attitude, both yours and the restaurants and the hotels, but you know, that interaction could have gone any number of wrong ways uh, and been disruptive to the hotel, to the restaurant, to, um, to the other patrons. So uh, you just rolled with it, so to speak, and there you are. Yeah, I think, I think attitude, whether people with disabilities like it or not, you know, we, 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 are, um, we are ambassadors. Right. And so our attitude and the way we interact with with people who 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 don't overcome the challenges that we do is critically important. And that doesn't mean I don't get frustrated from time to time because I'm human and I do. And I'm sure Peter does as well. But by and large, you know, we have a responsibility or at least I think I have a responsibility to to educate and to have a good attitude. Because Absolutely. If I don't, the next time there's somebody with a disability in that hotel they're not going to remember all the positive things that I did or said. They're going to remember the negative things and that could color their, their future interactions. And that's exactly what we don't want. So we, we've touched on um, mobility, vision, um, cognitive. There are so many more areas that, that we're not even talking about and that obviously have their own unique challenges when it comes to travel. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering do you, is there is there like a unified disability travel market um, or really do you have people who are advocating for specific uh, specific needs, specific challenges? Uh, and, and is there some next wave or some like next level of access that a, we haven't a, even reached a, yet? A great question. I from my perspective, it's pretty fragmented. Um, uh it's, you know, I've, I know my disability, but, you know, I do, when I do uh, my workshops and programs geared to physical disabilities, so hearing, vision, and mobility, um, but I haven't approached the cognitive disabilities yet because I don't feel qualified. Um, but I, but they're just, organizations tend to be small, locally based, um, uh, not for profit or even or for profit, but they're motivated by all different kinds of things from finding a cure to to lifestyle, uh, to living comfortably, to employment. Um, and there's so much to advocate for. So it's hard to advocate universally. I mean, that's what the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, does. Um, but it's it's a challenge to unify uh 
this group because we all have uh, such specific challenges. So making it universal is is difficult. Yeah, the, you know, I think I think in my experience as a as an entrepreneur, you know, it, it is very siloed, um, right? So you could think of it as a high school cafeteria, right? You've got you've got Group X over here, you've got the you've got the other kids over here, and then you're doing this. And so the, the what we try and do at BA at Bread Approved is say, hey, you know, we all have different challenges, and having a disability is very very personal. Um, that's why we're predicated on user generated content, right? Because you know, I don't know what it's like to have, you know, challenges with my vision, right? But Peter does, right? So if he creates a review on Bread Approved, that's the lens through which uh, the review will be done. And so, you know, we're developing a, a, a new website that's going to allow you to sort, you know, because if you're in a power chair, you don't, it, what somebody did in a manual chair really doesn't matter, right? And so that that is the key is just figuring out a way um, to bridge that gap and to say to people like me who have cerebral palsy or people who have um, spinal cord injuries or vision challenges or hearing challenges, yes, we are unique. Yes, none of us is defined by our disability, but in some way, on some level, we're all in this together. So let's let's knock it out of the park. Yes, finding that place where we can share the platforms and uh, and work together is it's a challenge, but I think it's it's one we're we're all working on and toward. So on that note. One final question. If you're thinking about the future of this sector, where do you see the biggest gains being made in the coming five, 10 years? Is it the millennials driving that? Is it sort of online platforms letting people share information? Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of the future, I think I think that the market is going to, you know, there's a saying that we've all heard that I'm quite fond of, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? So, yes, our focus at Bread Approved is people with physical disabilities and challenges. But if but if our if our ship is lifted, so to speak, by the aging baby boomers and by um, getting away from accessibility and, and talking more about universal design. Right. I think universal design is something that, um, you know, isn't talked about enough and should be focused on a little bit more in terms of accessibility, because as you know, people age, you know, you know, baby boomers who just had a hip replacement, they don't consider themselves disabled, but guess what? They might need a room with a rolling shower because they can't step over the tub. So if we're building hotels from scratch in the future, right, why not make sure that the, that they follow the, the seven tenets of universal design and make sure that everybody can use them? Here's a wacky idea. How about a hundred room hotel with a hundred rolling showers? Isn't that nuts? Right? <laughs> I mean, how cool, how cool would that be? Yes, disability is always going to be something that Society has to, um, you know, kind of, kind of realize and, 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 and move forward. But, but my goal, my big audacious goal for the future is wouldn't it be great if we lived in a, in a society and in a world that saw the person first, right? And that, and that accessibility was such, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now, where everything worked for everybody, regardless of how you got there. Yeah. Before, P Peter, before you go, Brett, just maybe if somebody's not, familiar with the term universal design, even though I think it's kind of self-explanatory. Can you, can you just touch on um, what you mean when you say that? Yeah, essentially uh, universal design, and I'm by no means an expert, but universal design, as I understand it, is just, is just a, a, a physical design of something. And it could be a hotel room or a can opener, right? That, that, that works for everybody, that has the masses in mind. 
that is that is you know you know universe, universally usable. And it's, yep, exactly. You know, uh, my brother used to have a tagline on his emails. He was also blind, um, and he focused on web accessibility. But his tagline was "Universal design is good design." So I, I think that, and any design that of a property, a, a built environment, uh, an industrial industrial product design that excludes someone by name, by definition is not really good design. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on the on the future? On the future. <laughs> well, I, um, I think that it's all happening at once or you know relatively at once and it is a matter of of different pieces getting put together you have you know you have sites and and organizations like Brett's that are about uh, in large part about rating and user rating user uh user input um and that definitely definitely raises awareness for um not just you know for the properties that Read though, read that input. That that listen to it. Um, then you have training organizations like mine, and you have just more information coming out every day. You have events like the Paralympics that are much more visible than they ever were, and you have new technological uh, innovations like uh, the beacons um, in the San Francisco airport that would guide me through the airport. Uh, so I don't need someone to show me where my gate is. I could find my gate because if I had the right app or whatever and it would tell me where to turn for gate you know 35 or whatever uh, or to find a restroom so it's just all happening over time uh in both directions from from the disability community and also from the from the mainstream as as we all strive to integrate but it that's where i see it going i don't see any um silver bullet i don't see any earthquake uh, I see incremental change, but we'll get to the point where we uh, will notice the separation less and less. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like technology, while it can be a headache when you're talking about something like booking through an OTA, um, it can also work it's in the a, other way. It's a be- huge advantage. And technology helps, but it's not the end. It's, it's, it's you know, not to be cliched about it, but it is the people mm-hmm. who make the change. Very good. Well, did you have anything else you want to say, Brett? No, I, I was just going to echo that. You know, I, I applaud, you know, Peter and the work that his team uh, does. And, and I think technology is just the beginning. I mean, one of the, one of the things that I, one of my side projects is I, I firmly believe that the wheelchair itself is outmoded, right? I mean, yeah. four wheels. I mean, the first wheelchair was invented in like 1869 or something like that. I think we can do better. So, you know, I mean, technology is important and we don't know. I mean, if we consider that 30 years ago we were playing Pong and now we've got augmented <laughs> reality, we've got virtual reality, that's just bananas. And, and so I'm excited to see, you know, where technology takes us. But to Peter's point, you, know, you could have the best technology in the world, but if you don't have that human interaction and that human want and need and desire to push everybody forward, it doesn't matter. So uh, I, I just want to thank you guys for, for bringing this topic up and spending some time with, with us today because it, without dialogue like this, we're not going to move forward. So it means a lot. So thanks. Oh, guys, thank you Agreed. both, Brett and Peter. And, Good to meet and, you, and Brett. Andrew. Thank you yeah, all likewise. for joining us and being here. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. 
We're holding our first ever Skift Global Forum Europe on April 4th in London. Find out about this and other events at forum.skift.com. This show was produced by Ben Glowey, who can be found on Twitter at visible underscore sound. Assistant editor Sarah Enlow provided additional support. To subscribe to this podcast, search for Skift on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and a comment to help other listeners find us. Past episodes and a link to subscribe are online at podcast.skift.com. And this has been the Skift Podcast. Thanks for listening.